Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. at their intersection of faith, where they came across the man, God, Jesus. And we're going to see how their stories impacted the stories of others. And that's, that's what I hope this series will do for you. First, I hope it will it'll encourage you if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted Jesus personally for yourself. It's my hope that this series will encourage you to do that. Uh, it's, the, it's the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. It, I, I can't underscore that. Like the second most important decision in my life was asking Trisha to marry me. And would you agree with me? That's a pretty important decision. I made a good one. If you decide for Christ, you'll make an even better one. Uh, and I may tell Trisha's story as we go through this series and how her story impacted my story and brought me to Christ. The second is, I want to encourage you, if you've trusted Jesus, to rest in him. To rest in him and his finished work on the cross and to obey him. So not enough just to come to Jesus for salvation, and I hope that everyone will do that. Uh, but it doesn't end there. It's an entire life that we have to live for the one who died for us. And so I hope that it will comfort you and encourage you, but I also hope that as you hear these stories, it will challenge you to write your own story that impacts others for Jesus, to share your story. And that's number three. I want to encourage you to share your story. We're talking about sharing the stream, and that's like a baby step in evangelism is sharing the stream. Uh, how many of you shared the stream this morning? Don't raise your hand. Oh, thank you. A couple of you shared the stream this morning. Listen, you know you're sitting there. I know you all got your phones. I know what you're doing. You're scrolling Facebook. You're scrolling. Does anybody use Twitter in New Hampshire? I don't know. Um, you're, squ- you're scrolling Instagram. Uh, take a picture of the worship team. Click on the church's link and say, hey, join us this morning. That's baby steps. The, the next step, really, the bigger step is to introduce yourself to someone and tell them your story. Tell them your story. Introduce them to Jesus through you. That's what I hope will happen um, this series. So, someone like you, I want you to write this down. If you have your Bible, if you have your Bible app, if you have a notebook app on your phone, which you do, I want you to write this down. Someone like you needs someone like you. Someone like you needs someone like you. So my life story, my testimony, it's going to have a different impact on different people, right? When I meet someone who has similar life experience that I have, my story may impact them greater. There are people that are struggling 
with depression or struggling with drugs and alcohol, that your story, your redemption story, how you came to Jesus out of all that, your story will impact them far differently than my story will impact them because someone like you needs someone like you. But before we get into all of that, I want to talk about the story that matters most. We want to talk about the story that matters most, the one that started it all, really, um, the story of Jesus Christ. And, and for us to understand Jesus, we have to understand this. It doesn't, his story, his story doesn't begin in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. That's not the beginning of the story of Jesus. Now, there are some religions that, that will teach you the beginning of the story of Jesus is when Mary was pregnant and birthed Jesus Christ. And they will say that's the beginning of Jesus. He is just a man. But the story of Jesus doesn't begin with Mary. The story of Jesus is God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. He said this, before Abraham was, I am. Thank you. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, now, when Jesus said that, he understood that his audience, right, the people that were listening to him, he understood that they understood this, this phrase, I am. People that you may not have experience in church, and maybe you have experience in church, but you haven't read much of the, the Old Testament, you might not know the significance of Jesus saying, before Abraham was, I am. And the significance is this, when Moses was on the mountain, he's going to get the Ten Commandments, right? You know Charlton Heston, that movie, right? The Ten Commandments. Uh, and he's, gonna, he's, he's being told to go back and, uh, wait a second, I'm sorry. Anyways, he's talking to God and he says, who should I tell, who should I tell sent me? What's your name? Who are you? How can I prove that you are, you are God? And God said this to, to Moses. He said, tell them that I am. So the Israelites that were listening to Jesus talk when he said before Abraham was, I am, he was without a doubt emphatically and dramatically declaring himself to be equal with God, the creator of the universe. His story doesn't begin at the manger. His story is beyond time. I want you to take a look at Revelation chapter 13, Revelation chapter 13, verses 5 through 8. Uh, Revelation is an interesting book. Um, in the Bible, we take what's literal, literally, and we take what's symbolically, symbolically, and we take what's allegorical, allegorically. Uh, some of this is symbolic, but it's pointing to something literal. You follow what I'm saying? Like if I say, my son is as big as a house. Um, if you look over at his seat right now, are you going to see a house? Right? It's illustrative. It just means my son's a big dude, right? So you'll see some of that. And he was given a month speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue 42 months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe and tongue. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life 
of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, what we're, what we're talking about <clears throat> is that this individual, I believe, is a literal individual. We have the beast and the false prophet at the end times, okay? And the false prophet is going to be given this authority, and he's going to give, be given this power, and he's going to point to the beast, and the people of the world will worship the beast. I believe this is literal, okay? Uh, and I don't believe we're there. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, we're living in the end times. Look how horrible it is. Dude, it's been really bad before, okay? It's been really bad before. Ancient Rome was not a really nice place for Christians when Nero was the emperor, okay? You follow what I'm saying? I think every generation thinks that they're the last generation. But regardless of whether we're living in the last days or not, we should be living for Jesus if we know him as our Savior. If we don't know him as our Savior, we should understand this. You are not guaranteed your next breath. You're just not. But the significance of this passage, and the reason I plucked this obscure passage out of the book of Revelation, is because of what it said. He calls Jesus the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He calls Jesus the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so as we begin this message, I want to make this clear. Now, when God created heaven and earth, he knew Adam was going to rebel. He knew Adam was going to fall. He knew his creation was going to turn its back on him. And so in his planning of creating heaven and earth, universe, everything in it, he planned for the pathway of redemption back to himself. Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, right? Before he even founded it, from the very foundation, he laid Jesus Christ. He made a plan for us to come back to him. And that's so important to understand when we look at the life of Christ, we're talking about a, a, a God, the God in flesh, who knew that this was what he was going to do. This was his pathway. And so, as we begin this message, we have to look at the story that matters most, and we have to understand that God took responsibility for his creation. And I, listen, I, I read a lot, and, and I see agnostics and atheists saying, what a horrible God. He created us and knew we were going to fall away, and why would he do that? Well, he also created a way back, okay? When he created us, he created the way back. And the reality is this, you cannot love if you're forced to love. You follow? Love cannot be coerced. And that's why as Baptists, we believe in freedom of religion. That's why we championed it. It's called independent soul liberty. Because that is, listen, that which is coerced from someone is useless. If your heart and soul isn't in it, it's empty. And I want you all to be sitting, I want you all to be thinking about this sitting here this morning. Because if you came to Christ out of coercion, somebody forced you, you haven't come to Christ yet. You, you have to come to him freely. Okay? So, let's go on. Romans chapter 8, 31 says this. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him for, delivered him for us, 
how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? This verse typifies the plan of God found in, in the person of Christ. This verse sat with me so heavily when, does anybody remember that movie, The Passion of the Christ? How many of y'all saw it? It's like one of the first movies that literally presented the crucifixion of Jesus. It was incredibly powerful. I recommend watching it, even though there's these crazy fundamentalists calling it a Catholic movie. It portrayed Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the dead. It's an amazing story, and it's, it's so well done. And as I went to that movie, I sat in the theater, and this verse just kept it kept playing over and over and over and over in my mind. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Think about that. He gave his life for mine. He gave his life for mine. Can I say that again? Because I don't know that you're getting it. He gave his life for mine. I want you to say that with me. I'm going to count to three because I was a choir director and I can't stand it when people don't do it together. Ready? One, two, three. His life for mine. Say it again. His life for mine. That's the significance of the story of Jesus is he gave his life for mine. I had nothing that I could give to him. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't pay the debt of my sin. I couldn't even turn over a new leaf. Both sides of the leaf were corrupt. I needed another answer. He gave his life for mine. He didn't spare his son. This is the story of Jesus intersecting with our stories. We come to the intersection of grace and truth. And then the question is, when we hit that intersection, what did we do? Do you remember that day? Or what will you do? Have you had that day? I contend this. This morning, you are at the intersection of grace and truth. And Jesus is here this morning, and he is calling you to himself. And he is teaching us this, that he gave his life for ours. God is telling us he didn't spare his son, but gave his son freely for us. His life for mine. This is what we're talking about. His story impacting our stories. I'll never forget the day I came to Jesus for salvation. The day his story intersected with mine. Oh, I'll tell you, I, I, as we get on in the series, I'll tell you my story. But for now, I want you to focus on that phrase. He spared not his own son but he gave him up for us all. Let's go on. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through what? Through our efforts? We have peace with God through our efforts. What is it? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we have peace with God through our denomination? Through our parents' faith? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on. He says this. <clears throat> Through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Going on, I hope. 
Oh, that's just going to drive me crazy. Guys, I'm going to, yeah, Cliff's back there going, I didn't do it. I'm innocent. He, he probably did do it. Let's see if this works. All right, let me, let me press pause here. For some of you, this is the most important message you will ever hear in your entire life. And I believe in a personal God, and I believe in a personal devil. I believe in evil spirits, and I believe they're wherever a Christian is, <laughs> an evil spirit comes. And so I believe that this morning, they are here, and their job is to distract you. And so let's take a moment and pray. Because I don't want you to miss this message. Heavenly Father, I, I just come to you. And I ask that you work out all the technological details, Lord, things that are just not working right. I pray that you'd take away distraction, that we would be able to hear your word and respond to your word. Lord, as we hear the story of Jesus, we would examine ourselves to see whether or not we truly are saved, truly in the faith, or whether we were just trying to please someone else or get someone off our back. Lord, this is the most important story. And we need to hear it, and we need not be distracted. And I pray that you would just, uh, Lord, force the evil spirits away from this place to give us a moment of freedom to hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces patience and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You need, to, you need to write that down. If you think you're earning heaven, if you think you're turning over a new leaf, if you think you're forgiven because of something you have accomplished, you need Jesus. Okay? It is not of our good works. It is not our morality that saves. It is Christ alone, our faith in him, his grace poured out on us as a response to our faith. Okay? For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love in this toward us, while that we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Saved from what? Saved from wrath. There's a consequence to ignoring this intersection. There's a consequence to running through this stop sign, right? There's a consequence, consequence to blowing this red light. And that consequence is the wrath of God pouring down on us. Okay, that's an important distinction that we need to understand. When we were enemies, for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. His life for mine. What does it mean? His life for mine. I've been redeemed. His life for mine. Oh, can't you see? His life for mine. I've been set free. But why, oh God, would, would you give your only son? Why, oh Lord, what could I have done? Nothing. Nothing. I have nothing but your love. That is the story of this sermon. That is the story of Jesus. 
When I think of what his life or mine means, when I explore the depths of that statement, I must stand in awe or kneel in wonder that he would send Jesus to die for me, that he would give his life for mine, holding nothing back. It blows me away. I so bad want to tell my story. <laughs> it, just, it just amazes me. There's a song, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. I'm telling you, some of you need to get it. Some of you here this morning are at the intersection of grace and truth, and you need to let go and trust Jesus. When I came to Jesus, 17 years old in this church, everybody, already, everybody thought I was already saved. I was a good boy. Yeah, Ken didn't. <laughs> As my father-in-law getting me back for all the things I've said while he was stuck in Florida. But I had, I had, y'all remember Phyllis Brown? She was Phyllis Cretion. She moved down to Florida too. She was like a longtime member of our church and she would come up to me and go, oh, I wish my son was more like you. You're such a good Christian boy. I mean, people thought I was a Christian because I didn't swear. They wouldn't think that now. But, um... <clears throat> it made it more difficult for me to come to Jesus because everybody thought I was. I was dating Trish. Trish was Ken and Pat's daughter. Back in the day, they were like, I know they're old and decrepit now and moved down to Florida, <laughs> snowbirds, wings have been clipped. Um, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding, sort of. And um, she was like Emmanuel royalty. People, people thought that when we got, people thought when we got married, my last name was going to change to Bourneville. I mean, that's how bad it was in this church back then. They go, oh, who are you? Oh, you're Trisha's boyfriend. Oh, huh. uh, but everybody thought I was a Christian. I'm dating royalty. And I knew in my heart something was wrong. There was something wrong. My relationship with God was off. And that kept me from coming to Jesus for about a year. Folks, don't let anything keep you from receiving this promise of God. Because here's the reality. Before I walked down that aisle and knelt at the cross of Jesus and asked him to be my savior, I was an enemy of the state of heaven. Now, I wasn't an atheist. I was pretty religious, actually. I was in the choir. I was uh, an Awana leader. Um, I was doing pretty much everything you could do as a 17-year-old kid in this church. But without Christ, I was an enemy of the state of heaven. That's what the word reconciliation indicates. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled. We read through the scripture so quickly sometimes that we miss these important facts. That without Jesus, you are an enemy of the state of heaven. You may not take a cannon and unload it at the gates of heaven. You may not try to undermine other people's faith. You may not write the new atheism books. But without Christ, our lives are a living um, candle of rebellion. They're a flare of rebellion. 
We need Jesus because remember, when God created the heaven and the earth, he created the way back. You follow? He created the way back. And so for us to reject the way back to God that he has provided in favor of our own way is rebellion. Well, my way is to be good and do good and go to church. That's my way. My way is to, is to live an upstanding life. That's my way. My way is I'm just going to try not to kill anybody. If I succeed in that before I die, hallelujah. But that's not enough. That's not enough. We are still the enemies of the state of heaven. We are an enemy of the state of heaven. It's an inescapable truth. There is a death sentence on our head. We were exiled from the halls of heaven. Oh, boy. If we were then enemies, verse number 10. Now, here's the deal. If you have any sin in you at all, and you have not accepted Jesus Christ, you have not accepted his life for yours, you join me when I was 17 as an enemy of God. You join me as an enemy of God. The Bible says this, that, that no sin is excusable in God's sight. And this is how we live. Oh, well, I, you know, I did that because I was raised in an abusive home. Well, I did this because I was starving and I just needed something to eat. I lied about this because I was going to get into big trouble. I, I asked uh, a, a teenager this week, I said, do you think it's okay to lie? Do you, do you lie? And she's like, no. And her friend said, what if, you're gonna, what if it'll get you out of trouble? And then she said, no. And she lied. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't tell her I said that if you know who I'm talking about. But God, listen, uh, when we sin, we're in rebellion of God's perfect and holy will. Sin, oh man, is an act of rebellion toward the perfection and the beauty of God. God's desires are all good and all holy and benefit us, and yet we break many without a thought. In Revelation chapter 21, it says this, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You're at an intersection of grace and truth this morning. And the truth is this. If we have not come to Jesus, our sin causes us to be an enemy of the state of heaven. Not even one white lie can cross through those gates. Not even one. Nothing impure can pass through the gates of heaven. Nothing. And we can't clean ourselves up. How many of you, when you were young, you got a spot on a new shirt that your mom bought for you? Maybe you weren't supposed to go outside and play, but you went outside and played anyways because she ain't going to find out. And then you look down, and you're like, oh, crap. And you got like a spot on your shirt. And maybe you're like 8, 9, 10 years old, and you're too dumb to know that if you go like this, she'll never see it. And you're going like this, and you're going, what happens to the spot when you try to clean it off yourself? It's getting bigger 
So you lick your fingers because you know spit cleans everything. Because my mama does that to my face. So you're like, must work for a shirt. And you start trying to wipe it off. And you're like, oh, no, it's not working. So you're like. That is what we are when we try to fix ourselves. You can't clean it off yourself. You don't have the power. You don't have the means. But God has provided the means. And you may sit here and think, I'm not that bad a sinner. Oh, I'm not that bad. Did you overeat last night? Oh, you guys, listen, man, this is not a confessional. <laughs> we had one of our newer families in the church. How do you say your last name? Ruiz? Yeah. Holy smoke. Chloe was right. Thanks a lot. That's two arguments I lost this week with my kids. Dude, we go over there, and Bob takes out this platter of steaks that are like, they had to be about an inch, maybe an inch and a quarter thick. He's like, this be good? I'm like, how many can I have? I think I did okay not overeating because I didn't have dessert. And I was actually getting up this morning thinking, I didn't have dessert. There was like cheesecake on the table, and I didn't eat it, and that is like a major sin. Unless you're overeating. God gave us these things to enjoy, but when those things become controllers of our lives, they become sin. Sexuality. Are you involved in sex without the benefit of marriage? I mean, you're not married and you're having sex. Guess what? You are in sin. You're sinning. Maybe you're married and you're having sex with somebody else who's not your wife. You shouldn't be, I mean, you should, thank you. You should figure that out. That's not too hard. That's sin. Perverted sexual appetites, overeating, dishonest, cheating. We abuse, uh, I had to find a way to phrase this, we abuse medicinal materials. We had, a, we had an addictions recovery forum here. A, a lobbyist from D.C. came up. A bunch of politicians were here back in 2016 or whatever it was. And, and it was horrific to see the statistics of people who are dying of opioid, uh, opioid abuse. And, and we had these fundamentalist nut jobs here. God bless them. They're trying. And they're like, why can't we just call this problem a sin? It's a sin. Y'all just need to get right with Jesus. Ignoring the medical facts that addiction changes the chemistry in your brain. It makes it very difficult to quit. But they were right in this sense. And I got up and felt a need to kind of correct things a little bit. Yes, it is a sin. Because I want you to think of sin as this. Anything that hurts you, harms you, or harms others. I believe that is a good definition of sin. And when you become addicted to opioids, you're harming yourself and you're harming others. And you need help. You need Jesus. But listen, I'm going to say something controversial. There are believers in Jesus, saved people, who struggle with opioid addictions. They need help. They have Jesus, but they're not walking with him. Folks, we need to be compassionate. When we abuse medicinal materials, we don't think twice about it. Alcohol, drugs, we don't think twice about it. We use abusive speech. God has given us the gift of speech, and we use it to hurt each other and to harm others. Instead of build others up, we were speaking about this last night, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is, listen, of, of use to build up others with the grace of God. 
Corrupt communication is not like just dropping an F-bomb, guys. I know you want to make it that easy. Well, that's corrupt communication. I don't swear. Yeah, but you tear down everybody in sight. But you think you're a good Christian because you don't use the F-word? And yet you're continuously harming other people, backstabbing, backtalking, cutting people down. Well, you can have your elementary idea of corruption if you want to. The thing, speech, is supposed to bring joy and beauty. It brings heartaches and wounds. We take the name of the Lord Jesus in vain and we think nothing of it. We say we're fine. We have the audacity to say that we're not bad just because we haven't murdered someone. I haven't committed adultery. And yet God says, into this arrogance speaks Jesus. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with her in, her heart, in your heart. If you speak with hate towards your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. God looks at the heart, which is why when I was 17 years old, and pretty much everyone but my father-in-law in the church thought that I was a really good guy and what a great Christian. It's not just how you live morally. It's not just what you're saying. It's also what you're thinking. It's not just your outward behavior. It's your inward heart. And mine was corrupt, and I knew it. I knew it. I could not stand in the, in the, in the, in the sight of God. So maybe you're like that. Maybe, you, maybe you're just thinking, oh, I'm not that bad. But I want you to understand, just thinking that is bad. It's arrogance of the worst degree. And Jesus breaks it down. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, think about it again, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Chapter 8 now of Romans. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. It's not our cleaning up of our own act that makes intercession for us with God. It's not coming in to the halls of heaven and approaching the throne of grace and proving to God that you're cleaning up your act. Oh, God, if you'll forgive me, I promise you I will never do it again. How many of you have said that? God, if you'll forgive me, I promise you I'll never do it again. Your asking of forgiveness is based on the wrong action. His forgiveness of you is not dependent upon your promising to fix you. It's dependent upon the blood of Jesus Christ alone. A matter of fact, we approach the throne of grace to obtain mercy and help in time of need because we walk through the blood of Jesus. And repentance is important, saying, Lord, what I did was wrong. Repentance simply means this, coming to, into agreement with, with, with what God has said. Listen, you thought it was okay to go this way? And you now realize that it is not okay to go that way. And you come to God and say, I don't want to go that way anymore. But the forgiveness is based on the blood of Jesus. You can promise God all day long, but if you don't have the blood of Christ, your promises are empty. 
and powerless. They've got to be bathed in the blood of Christ. And I know that sounds gross to some of you, but it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses our sins. And the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no cleansing, no remission, no pardon of our sins. When you come to God for forgiveness, you come on the basis of Jesus Christ. When you repent, it's in the blood of Christ and the power of God through Jesus that gains forgiveness for you. Therefore, as, though, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Now he's going back to the beginning of time when Adam fell. The human race was judged, received a fallen nature, which is why some of you have a bad temper. Who has a bad temper here? Raise your hand. You have a bad temper because Adam's nature is in you. Some of you have bends in sexual natures toward things that you should not have bends towards. That is the edemic nature, that is the fallen nature of man in you that is causing you to lean toward sex outside of marriage. How many of you have a propensity to lie? And I don't mean to look at junior high kids, but it's almost like every junior high kid. It's like, I don't know why I lie, I'm just in junior high. You, um, you know what I'm saying? Some of you, it just, it's natural. How many of you guys have kids? And um, you didn't have to teach them how to lie. Did anybody have to teach their child how to lie? Because human beings are inherently good, right? We are just good people. Folks, and I, I love my daughters. And everybody knows I love Chloe. Uh, and, and I've told this, can I tell this story, Chloe? Because it's so awesome. When you hit Kirsten. No, when Kirsten hit you. Can I tell the story? So she, you can tell me no. I'll tell it anyways. So she gave me permission. So here's my daughter, Chloe Trish. How old was she? Like five, three, five, something like that. She was barely old enough. She, we were still at, at uh, Merrimack Heights. And Kirsten was parked in her wheelchair. And Trisha was in the kitchen. And I was on the couch. And I'm watching TV. And I hear... Sissy hit me. <laughs> and I'm like, Kirsten Lee Davis. And I'm, get, I'm getting ready to give her the business. Like, you don't hit your sister, blah, blah, blah. And my wife is in the kitchen, and Chloe didn't see her. And Trish goes, Eric, stop. Chloe is lying. <laughs> Kirsten didn't touch her. The wickedness in this kid. <laughs> it's not just that she lied, but she, listen, one thing to lie to get out of trouble, it's another thing to lie to get somebody else into it. I mean, that's like compound sin. She needs Jesus. <laughs> it's no wonder my father-in-law nicknamed her Closifer. She hates that, by the way. Do not call her that. This is the Adamic nature, when I say Adamic, Adam's nature in us, causing us to have these bends toward lying, toward a bad temper, toward cheating. We can't fix ourselves. Somebody said, are you born this way? I think it was Lady Gaga. Yes. Whether you think it's genetics that causes people to be addicted or homosexual, or whatever the sin of your choice is. It doesn't matter if it's genetic or not. It's the fallen nature of man. 
You were born that way. You were born with a bend in your nature. Every single one of you sitting here this morning and everyone who's ever walked the face of the earth was born with a nature that has a bend towards sin. Somebody's bends are things that you have no problem with and you're like, what is wrong with them? Look at Kevin. What's wrong with him? I don't know. Because he sins differently than me. And we should just look to Jesus. Going on. Even so, here's the good news. We all stand in condemnation before we come to the intersection of grace and truth. We all stand condemned. And then this. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Now, we were sinners before the law. But in many cases, we were ignorant of our sin. And so God introduces the law to make sure that we knew we were sinners. That's the point of the law. The law's point is not to save. The law can't bring forgiveness. The law just brings awareness. You follow? The law has no power to cleanse, but the law has the power to make us aware. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through the righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look, guys, I'm going to say it again. Through what? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Are we cleansed through our own efforts? No, through Jesus Christ's efforts. Okay? And I know some of you have been in church for a long time. You're like, I know this. But some of you might know it, but you haven't accessed it. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from what? Do you remember? I know it's, it's, it's getting on. But do you remember what we talked about in the beginning? I'm an enemy of the state of heaven. Do you remember that from the beginning? The wrath of God rests on us. That's what we're saved from. There was a mega church pastor who got up in front of his congregation, I think a few months ago, and he said, I need to apologize to you because I have been preaching wrong. I've been reading Charles Spurgeon. Dude, if you're a, if you're a prosperity preacher and you start reading Charles Spurgeon, that will mess you up. <laughs> and it messed him up. Charles Spurgeon was a preacher back in the 1800s. He was called the Prince of Preachers. He was an amazing man of God. And this preacher got up and he said, I've been preaching grace and, and, and just a love of God, but I forgot to tell you that you're messed up. You're messed up. If you don't know that you need to be saved, you will not truly be saved. If you're just coming to Jesus for a better life, I'm just coming to Jesus uh, because I want a nice car. I'm coming to Jesus because I want a good relationship. I'm coming to Jesus because I want health. I'm coming to Jesus because I want wealth. I'm coming to Jesus, all these things. Folks, you're not saved. We come to Jesus because we were under wrath and condemnation, and we were enemies of the state of heaven. And when you preach the gospel, if you don't preach sin, you're not preaching the gospel because without sin, there's no need for the gospel. And I was, as I was sitting at the Passion of the Christ, and I'm watching this movie, and I'm seeing the brutality against Christ, 
I am telling you, it broke me, and I was a believer. But it gave me such a heart of gratitude for what Jesus had done for me. His life for mine. What does it mean? Oh, my word. We have such an amazing God. For Scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all who call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm speaking from memory. It's King James. Um, God has pursued us and provided for us. If you're here this morning and you're afraid because you're under the wrath of God, you're here this morning and you're going, what should I do? I don't want to be an enemy of the state. What can I do? you got to do this. First of all, understand God is pursuing you and has provided for you. Biblical word is propitiation. He appeased himself by himself. He's not asking you to fix you. He wants to fix you through the blood of Jesus. But you've got to come to him. You've got to trust in him. As an, listen, as an enemy, most of us would think that God would want to destroy us. In fact, Jesus had followers, James and John. They had a nickname, the Sons of Thunder. I mean, that's a cool nickname. James and John, the Sons of Thunder. And there were these people that they were, they were rejecting God, and they were, they were blaspheming, and they're like, Hey, Jesus, you want us to call fire down from heaven? And he's like, Guys, really? Do you think that's why I came? I came to bring grace. I came to bring grace. You'd think that as, as an enemy, God would want to destroy us, but instead he pursues us and he offers us a gift, a free gift. And that is redundant, but that's the way he put it. We have been given a free gift, his life for mine. Why would God do this? Really quickly. One, because he loves his creation. John chapter 3.16 sums it all up. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Those who, believe are not, those who believe are not condemned, but those who believe not, here it is, are condemned already. Those of us who have not yet placed our faith in Jesus stand under condemnation. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Guys, God provided us the way out of his great love. Two, it was a plan all along to display his goodness and his mercy. Three, and get this now, hear me. There is no other way. There's no other way. We can't fix this. So God did through Jesus. Lastly, because hell wasn't really prepared for us, it was prepared for the devil and the angels. So just like any other gift, this one must be accepted. It's got to be received. It's got to be received. Too many people have heard this message and walked away without placing their faith in Christ. Too many people hear this message and they think it's not for me. It's for you. You're at an intersect of grace and truth. What are you going to to do about it. Will you be a recipient of the free gift of Jesus? Hey all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.